Hey, everybody, welcome into episode 78 of the Curtain Call podcast presented by the Yes Network. I'm Justin Shackle. He is Yes Network president of production and programming, John J. Filippelli. And John, I don't think that we've had to say this phrase all that much with the New York Yankees this season because they've had such a big cushion within the division for so long. But we know that cushion is gone now. And uh, the phrase is, man, this is the most important series of the season for this team or that team. It really rings true for the Yankees this weekend. It's the Yankees and the Rays. Four and a half games separate them in the AL East. And the Yankees just took three out of four from the Minnesota Twins. So as they gear up for a very important division series, how would you assess where the Yankees are at right now as, not to be corny, but as they begin the most important series of the season? Well, you know, they, they've got uh, four and a half games, right? They're four and a half games up. And uh, it, it helps to play the Minnesota Twins. It just does. If you you wear a Yankee uniform, it helps to play the Twins. For whatever reason, the Yankees have had the Twins number the last several years. Um, and the Yankees really do play well against them. So uh, perform well. That was the, the Yankees needed to perform well because they've been, you know, obviously most people who are listening to this know the Yankees were struggled. They struggled from the from the month of August. They really did, and into September. So they needed to put a couple of wins together, and uh, it's uh, it started with the, the you know the Mets being the Mets those two games, and uh, you know they carry over to to the Twins. So I, th- I think it's been a good thing that they're playing better. The, the but but again they're battling a lot of things, but they do have that little bit of a cushion, and one of the the and and they've got a showdown series with uh, with Tampa Bay this weekend at the stadium. So. We'll see how that plays out, and 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 Tampa Bay then has the the, uh, the misfortune of having to draw six games against the Astros. So between now and the end, they have a really tough schedule. But from between now and the end, so that that will play into the Yankees' favor as well. So the Yankees don't have to win a lot of games, but they have to win some games, and um, and and they do have a sense of urgency to win these games. So and the other thing you don't want to do is you don't want to limp into October. You don't want to perform so underperform so much to the point that. You, know, you get to October and you know you, you don't have any momentum going. You're not playing well, and uh, it's it's not easy to turn a game on and off. Like okay, well, it's, I guess we turn the Jets on. Let's turn the Jets on. Well, uh, I guess we turned them on, but we didn't play very well. That's what they could be facing. So they they want to be right. They want to play well. They want to play. Uh, you know, they want to, the other teams seems to fear them, and, and as as they get to October, because that's obviously that's the money month. So the Yankees, uh, but the Yankees have the talent to do it. Um, you know, they've had a lot of players will get to a place who are playing out of position. A lot of things that have gone on with the team that the Yankees are trying to rectify now, which I think will help them. Stability is the most important thing that you find. The Yankees need to find stability because they've had stability for the first couple of months of the season. Then they had a really little bad cold spell and they uh, didn't have stability at all. Now they got to find their sea legs again. They've got to find a way to stabilize what they're doing. Uh, that's That's the biggest challenge I think they have in front of them right now. You mentioned them taking three out of four from the Twins. They won five in a row before their West Coast trip, which they played spotty. It was disappointing. They they split a series with the A's, who are all eliminated from any type of contention. They lost a series to the Angels. Like, Do we know, despite feeling pretty good coming out of the Minnesota series, heading into the Tampa series, they have injuries. They have key role players out nursing injuries. Like, Do we know how good this team is feeling just because they took three out of four for Minnesota. Well, I mean, it certainly helps that winning cures a lot of things and uh, understanding that the Yankees, as I mentioned before, have the twins number, it seems like uh, it's nice, but 
it's just one team. And to say you perform well against the Twins and don't perform well against a lot of other teams is probably true. So the Yankees need to, need to the, the, this can't be, you know, just, just to do a pit stop for the Yankees. The Yankees have to continue to win. They, they've got some momentum going right now, having the one majority of games in the series. So I think that's good for them, obviously. And uh, now they've got to play Tampa like they mean it. And because they do mean it, and and they, and uh, uh, Houston like they mean it, because they do mean it. So the Yankees have uh, have uh, have uh, have their work cut out for them uh, the, the rest of the way. They just do. They've got to play hard. They've got to play. They've got to find stability, as I mentioned. But they also have to try to find health. They don't have a lot of health right now. Too many players are on the IL, and that's the thing that they've really got to concern themselves with is finding health, stability, and health. And so when they get to October, uh, they're they're in a position to you know to to uh, you know to capitalize on on the talent that they have and, and to you know roll through if they can but but it's not going to be easy for them because they do face a lot of obstacles they just do I remember you saying a few episodes ago how a team and it's it, it makes baseball sense what I'm about to say like a team in the postseason you can't rely on just your one through five hitters and worry about and not worry about the latter half of your lineup well the Yankees they're one through five hitters currently uh, don't exist. You have Aaron Judge and the rest. You have Giancarlo Stanton, who's obviously an active player, sort of. Uh, he's day-to-day after fouling a pitch off his his foot. DJ LeMahieu has been on the IL now. Anthony Rizzo is placed on the IL. Andrew Benintendi is out. Yankees sound like they're optimistic that they're going to get these players back. But let's be realistic here. Some of them probably aren't going to come back. And something that Aaron Boone said on Thursday, he was asked directly, is there any part of him that believes that DJ LeMahieu could be lost for the season? He didn't say yes or no, but he also didn't say no. He said he's concerned. And that kind of raised an eyebrow for me as a result of all these injuries. We have seen some top prospect names that we've been hearing about. Oswald Peraza coming up. He's starting to play every day out of necessity. But could we see the guy that everyone wants to see? And that's Anthony Volpe, because because Lemayhu's I think a question mark now. The, the the non-committal yes/no answer from Aaron Boone caught my attention. I think Jack Curry said it as well uh, on the S broadcast, or he tweeted it out that hey, if these injuries continue and they they're having a tough time getting healthy, we may see a guy like Anthony Volpe. So, do you think the the time for some of these younger kids is now, and the team needs to start playing them? Well, I've always said that if you're going to win, you got to get help from unexpected places. You just do. It's a really long season, and the the injuries can sneak up on you as they've stuck up on the Yankees and are taking their toll. I mean, where where can the Yankees turn to get help? I mean, the trading deadline is coming on, so no, no trades. So where are you going to get help? The only place you can get help is from the minors, and so a, a player like Volpe is, is is very much a possibility. You know, if, if the Yankees feel he's ready to play in the big leagues. Uh, he'll be a spark plug for them by all means. We'll, like, give him a shot to play. They're gonna have to. They're gonna have to find the players. They're gonna have to because right now the, the roster as it's currently constituted doesn't have the depth right now that it needs. Uh, the Yankees need to find the help. They're gonna have to go through the minors, their minor league system, and a couple of a couple of players who they feel could can light that torch when they, when they need a spark and and be able to perform at, at a certain level on the field. Volpe's hitting over four hundred since arriving to AAA. So what, what what we're seeing right now, we're seeing a lot of makeshift lineups. We're seeing a lot of players playing out of place, I guess you could say. But from what we are seeing right now, do you think anything can stick as they try to get to where they want to be? Maybe like an IKF playing at third, Peraza getting more run at short, things like that? 
I think their defense has been tightened up considerably by making that move. You know, I I, I do like uh, I do like uh, uh, I can't at third. I do. I mean, forget he won a Gold Glove at third. People think, yeah, he didn't play third. Of course he did. He won a Gold Glove there. So, I mean, it, it tightens their defense uh, because the players they've got playing in those positions now are you know more suited to play it than, than the players who had before were playing other positions. So I, I think that move has really helped them. It's tightened their infield considerably. And the Yankees need that because if you start to look around the infield, you got a couple of guys playing out of position. Uh, if guys are playing hurt, they're playing out of position. Now you got guys who are who are not, not obviously not banged up for sure and are playing the right positions. That's got to help you. Familiarity, like anything else, is a is an asset. And uh, so I, I think that you know they start to find consistency here as guys get more comfortable in positions that that will lead to consistency. And consistency leads to, to to profitability, as we've talked about earlier on the podcast. We talked about this. So. You know, the, I think the Yankees are in good shape with with the moves that they've made. I think they got to. I think, but what, what they really start to have to pay dividends. They got to start hitting better. They just haven't hit well. You know, I mean, it's a, the Twins. They hit them a little bit, but they're the Twins. Okay, when when they've got a rough schedule part. I mean, they've got some interesting teams down the road potentially. You know, as we as we head toward, into October, Yankees could see themselves in some re- really rather large matchups here, and the Yankees may have to slug their way through a couple of these series to get out one piece. And it'll be interesting to see if they can do it. But who knows? But they're going to have to work at it. So the Yankees have a defensive talent, which is good. It tightens their infield and outfield. So they are playing better there. Pitching has been okay. Uh, you know, both pitch sometimes gets a little spotty, but for the most part, it's held, it's held them to pitch together. Starting pitching has been good. So, I mean, they got to hit, though. And that's what they haven't done. They just have not been able to hit. They have to find a way to score some runs. Just before we move on quickly, because we keep mentioning the Twins and how things kind of go right when the Yankees play the Twins. They are 114-40 and 40 against Minnesota since 2002 when you include the postseason. Can you recall another lopsided head-to-head series like that in all of your years in baseball? No, I can't. <laughs> Can you? No, but it's just remarkable. I mean, the Twins are, are battling for first place right now. It's not like they're a, a sub-500 team. They're a, a contender for the postseason. And, yeah, I get, like, rosters change over. Time change, you know, moves on. These are different players, different personnel, and yet you just continue to get some dominance. It's remarkable. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, again, when you consider all the players who change positions and stuff, um, and, and through the years, I mean, obviously it's not the same players. It, it changes through the years, but it's just something that just, it's one of those things that just happens. And, and there's no doubt that the Yankees are in the Twins' heads. There is no doubt that there's, the Yankees, the Twins are preoccupied with the Yankees and the, the idea that they're going to lose these games. And you can see it. You see it on the field. I mean, you watch the game close enough, you'll see it on the field. You'll see that as the game gets later in the game, you'll see that the, the Twins start making mistakes. They start giving up runs. Uh, mistakes they didn't make earlier in the game, they make later in the game because they, I mean, I think they sit there, they're waiting for the shoot to drop. They're waiting for something to happen that's going to cost them the game. Well, as all this is happening, John, Aaron Judge is closing in on the Yankee single season home run record. It's also the American League record, obviously 61 held by Roger Maris. He is at 55 home runs at the time that we're recording here. But you have kind of run parallel to some of these home run chases, whether it is as a young baseball fan or as a a TV executive through the years regarding 1998 and now here in 2022. So what similarities, I guess, do you see with what Aaron Judge is doing down the stretch here in in 2022? And I mean, do you think he's going to be able to do this easily or is it going to 
be something that comes down to the wire here? Well, I think it's I think it's going to go. I mean, it's going to go to sort of the end of the month. But I mean, I do think he's got a, a legitimate shot at this thing. It's not that many home runs when you start thinking about where he needs to get. He's at uh, he's got uh, fifty five now as we as we record this. He's got to get to sixty. He's got to get to sixty two. You know, can he hit seven home runs? We're looking at you know, can he hit seven home runs in you know in uh, what twenty days, twenty one days, twenty two days? So the reality is, of course, he can. It's like a home run every three days. Can he do that? Of course, he can. And if he gets really hot, he, he could shatter that. So I, I have every confidence in the world that he's going to break that record. And um, I think it's exciting. And I'm, you know, and I was mentioned before. I mean, I've been fortunate enough to be around this for such a long time. I was saw. I was, I was. I mean, I was ten years old when it happened, but I remember watching the the Yankees and the Red Sox, and uh, I remember seeing uh, Roger Maris hit his sixty first, which was the home run that, that eclipsed Babe Ruth's record. So that was quite quite a day, quite an accomplishment, and uh, very exciting. And I and I remember to this day, I remember vividly actually seeing that, and, and it was just so exciting and so wonderful. And in nineteen ninety eight, I was the producer at Fox. I was producing the game of the week there, and I got a chance to. Uh, you know, uh, see McGuire hit his uh, record-breaking home run, which was the, the record that the uh, home run that passed Maris. You know, in the in, in, at the time became the record, which was then eclipsed by Bonds. So you know, so but I did get a chance to see the record briefly, see what it was. I did get a chance to talk to McGuire about it, and you know what he did was it was quite a remarkable accomplishment. You know, in some cases, you know, people with a lot of speculation, some of the stuff was fueled by, uh, you know, uh, by some by some things that were illegal substances and stuff. But, you know, and then and, and and if that's the case, then that's unfortunate. And and uh, but, but that has nothing to do with the uh, with Roger Maris or Aaron Judge. It has nothing to do with them at all. So, you know, let's I mean, I think it's great to come back and see history, especially if you can see history for the second time or a third time or a fourth time or a fifth time. Whatever it is, you get a chance to see something. That's this is what this is one of the great records of all sports, is the is the home run chase. It just is, and um, be able to see it on the, the way that I've seen it and experienced it through the years, and uh, you know it's been just it's been the greatest experience that uh, you can have as, as a as a producer in the in the in the world of television. When you were producing those moments in 1998, did did you feel like you guys nailed it, or was there anything that? You, I mean, I'm sure, at, you know, trying to be a perfectionist, there's something that you say, oh, man, like, hey, if we could have gone back and done such and such, we would have done it. But overall, do you think you, you guys captured the moment as well as you could? Definitely. I mean, I I, I look back and I've seen look, the, the only thing that I really lament in, in, the, in the case of McGuire was uh, when he hit the home run the day that day. We had gone to Dave McKay, uh, and we asked Dave McKay, who was the first base coach for the Cardinals, "Can we? Will you wear a mic for history, just in case he hits the home run?" And he said, "No, I won't wear a mic." And I pleaded with him to try and get him to wear a mic, and he wouldn't do it. And then, then he, and then McGuire hits the home run, and there's a, you know, there's the, the the conversation that goes out of first base, which was basically go back and touch first base because you missed it. And it would have been nice to have that on tape. That would have been great, but he didn't want to wear the mic, so that was the end of that. But um, if people cooperate with history, history could have a kind of a great effect on the game. We were discussing this with David Cohn on, on the Tone of the Slab podcast earlier, and I'm wondering what you think. Which home run chase is more interesting for the sport? Is it Judge going for 62, or is it Albert Pujols closing in on 700 home runs? Look, not to diminish what Albert Pujols has done, that's a that's an incredible milestone. Seven hundred home runs. Think about it. You know, you know, you've got uh, 
You've got uh, look at the people who've done it career wise. You know, you've have uh, you've got Ruth and you've got you know your Ruth and Aaron, and you know, not not a lot of players have been able to you know to do it. So I mean, it's it's quite it is quite remarkable and number and a milestone. But I still think the chase for you know the those the, the whether it's the Maris mark or the Bonds mark or whatever you decide is the mark, um, that chase is still the most sacred, sacrosanct chase in all the sports. I think in terms of records. Staying all that, do you think it's going to, I'm talking about judge now closing in and you mentioned seven home runs away. It doesn't feel like that's a lot, but it really is. Uh, maybe not for a guy like Aaron judge based on what we've seen, but th that's a lot of home runs. That's a lot of ground to cover in three and a half weeks or so. Do you think it is going to draw the type of attention that McGuire and Sosa drew in 98? And it's funny that like, we even have to ask this question just because of all the difference in, differences in technology right now, like on the surface, you'd be like, oh, well, of course, like you have the internet, you have Twitter, you have social media, all that stuff. But it doesn't feel like the sport grabs the attention of the American public the way that McGuire and Sosa did. I'm wondering if he gets closer as he gets closer, if you think that'll start to pick up. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think it will. Because it'll it become it's become more of a national story. The closer this gets to that record, the more it'll be get to prominence. All the newscasts will be you know leading with it or talking about it. So as as that the, the conversations pick up, and as the moment becomes more immediate, the potential moment becomes more immediate. There'll be more interest in it, and I, I do think it will accelerate rather dramatically as he gets, especially as he's as he's right there. When it's in the immediate, meaning you know it could happen in that day, it, it will um, it'll be remarkable. So you saw Maris's chase as as a young boy. You saw Maguire's chase up close in 98. Obviously, Bonds with his 73 as well. But when you think about how advanced pitching has become in the game right now, so many guys can throw triple digits. They can reach 100, no problem. The movement on pitches these days, horizontally, vertically still as well. There's such a focus on having fresh arms all the time, avoiding lineups a third time through the order. Just... Pitching being so ahead of hitting overall, could Aaron Judge's home run chase end up being the most impressive out of anyone that we've seen over time? It could be. Uh, it, it could be because of uh, the consistency and the excellence of, of, the, of starting pitching, uh, of overall state of pitching in the game today. I think it's very possible that that could happen. The talent level is uh, is is such where it is that you've never had so many pitchers pitching at such a high level as you do in the game today. So you've got a lot, you've got an inordinate number of, of, of players dominating, and you and we saw the no hitters last year, and and uh, all the, all the, the, as the years have gone on, the last couple of years, there been more and more no hitters and more and more strikeouts. And more, the dominance of pitching has really come in the for, have come in the forefront. So as you see all that, you get to realize that what an uphill fight it should be for most hitters to find their way through. Because you know hitters and pitchers in a battle, it's always going to favor good pitching. Will always stop good hitting. It usually does. So Aaron Judge. And the, the time we're recording this, he's hitting 302, 55 homers, 118 RBIs. His OPS leads the game as well. I don't know if you're a fan of war in baseball or not, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter at this point when you when you look at these numbers and you stack them up against the rest of the field. But there are uh, several folks within the game. There's a faction of fans and critics who still think, despite what Judge is doing right now, Shohei Otani is having a more 
outstanding season. They're making that argument. Why do you think that argument falls on deaf ears with what Aaron Judge is doing and what Shohei Otani is doing? I mean, when you consider that the Angels have had this run of MVPs with between Trout and Otani, um, they could basically retire the award. They seem to win it every year, but every year, well, the, the what's missing from the Angel lineup is is uh, oh, they, they work really hard, but they don't seem to be able to put a uh, uh, you know get to the postseason. They just can't get there. So the talent is there because those two players are so extraordinary. But at the end of the day, they're not good enough to single handedly kind of get you in the playoffs. So the team is very much underperformed, and they just have. So the, the idea that uh, they're, they're somehow more valuable than Aaron Judge is ridiculous because they're not. I mean, the Yankees, if, without Aaron Judge, the Yankees are 15 games worse than they are right now. That's what a difference Aaron Judge has made to the Yankees. He's played that well. He really has. It, look, it, it's it's it, it's a struggle sometimes. There's a lot going on in the game right now. There's a lot of pressure. Uh, and sometimes you, you, because you have to win more than, you know, this, the, the records are secondary. There's what, they are important very much, obviously, for, for a lot of different reasons. But they, ultimately, you have to be able to, to put your hat down. You have to win. And a lot of players are not putting their hat on straight. They're not winning. Why is that not happening? Because, you know, they, they, it's, it's just the nature of the game. And there's been a lot of... Um, a lot of great players, you know, who are being stopped. Uh, you know, off the offenses get shut down by uh, by good pitching, and the pitching is very dominant at the moment. It just is. So, you know, the the Yankees are going to have to find a way as we get into October. We get further and further into October. The Yankees are going to have to find a way to score runs. I mean, it's pretty simple. You know, it's 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 not that the, the, you know you, you can't win. If you don't score any runs, it just makes life a lot harder if you're not scoring runs. They have to score runs. And plus, that, that puts, a, puts a premium on, on their starting pitching. It's going to take such a tax on those guys because they are pitching fairly well. The Yankees need offense. They, they need to score runs to win, and they've not been able to do that. I mean, this team is really struggling mightily offensively. I mean, there's like five, five, five out of nine spots. There's like five spots that are outs, almost automatic. So, the, you know, this is what the Yankees have to try to figure out a way to overcome is to try to find some consistency at the plate. And it's not like it's not like it's hot water. We just turn it on or off. We put a faucet on here. Let's go the runs. And here they come. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. So, you know, the Yankees have to find a way to, to, to find some consistency in that lineup to try to, you know, put some runs on the board. Because if they don't do that, then they're not going to win. So we're not going to do that because they're playing good teams. These teams that they're playing or potentially could play in the playoffs are solid baseball teams. And they, they pitch, they hit, they run, they do everything well. Well, I think it's really remarkable that they're winning as many games as they are at the moment based on what you just said because the offense is run dry. But like Aaron Judge is the offense, period. Um, he's still doing, he's still able to generate runs, produce offense, and then also directly drive in runs, hit balls over the wall, stuff like that. But he's involved almost in every run scoring sequence that this team has had over the last couple of weeks. And one thing before we put a bow, um, I think the MVP discussion and move on to to our next topic. I'm, I'm curious what you say to the, the, the faction of people who feel like you you can't tie in an uh, MVP award to uh, a team success because it is an individual award. Me, I read more into the word valuable than most people. I think I'm, I'm a big proponent of that. I think it's very different than an outstanding player. Um, but you have those people who feel like, well, if if you take away Aaron Judge on the Yankees, you put Shohei Otani on the Yankees, you know, where would they be? 
they'd probably be in the same spot or maybe a, a better spot. Uh, if you, you know, you switch them, you, you put judge on the angels, they, they'd still be in the same spot. So what do you say to those people who feel like the MVP award should not be lumped into a, a team's success? Look, Cal Ripken won the MVP uh, playing for a last place team. I don't know how you could be most valuable playing on a team that doesn't win. I mean, I, I just don't equate it. I, I don't look at my, my logic does not work that way. I mean, I, I look at this as you, you got to win. And, 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 how, and the player that is most responsible for you winning is the most valuable. That's the way that I view it. Now, not everybody views it like that. Some people view it a different way. There's a different metric. I don't know what metric you can use. You got to look at. You have to score. You have to score runs in order to win. And uh, if you're not scoring runs, then what, what I noticed is though a lot of the players who are really, really great players, really good players, you know, in the game. Um, and, and this is this is. I mean, they, they some of them play on really good teams. Some play on teams that aren't so good. And you can't legislate where they're going to play. I mean, you can't do that. But uh, you you can watch. Uh, you can watch and, and enjoy. And a lot of people just don't 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 appreciate the the chase for being the chase. I mean, it, it's 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 endemic upon what these players do to go out and give their maximum and to to put everything they can, leave it on the field, because you know it, it, for the sake of winning. And the players who do that are the players to me who really deserve the attention for the MVP race because to me it's not just playing the game it's playing the game the right way and you've got you've got kids now on the teenage lines and who are really very very driven and really focused on being there and really respect what it takes to be there so they're, they're very excited about their position in it and they're very excited about watching uh, performances that they that, that they believe in their minds are performances that they will you know that are just so well the game is so well played by so many key people that uh you know it gets redefined basically every time somebody comes to the plate the game gets redefined how we view it how we how we how we rate it how we market how we how we score it you know how, how we manage it so you know, all these things matter. Um, again, it's up to the individual to determine what they use as the barometer because all these players, somebody might judge, uh, vote for an MVP because they, they just vote for an MVP. You know, they have an idea of what, what they want, but they're not really sure, and they like a player. But this, is, this isn't a like category. This is, I, I, this is an MVP uh, category. And then that means most valuable player. That's the team, that's the player that's the most valuable to his team. And, uh, and uh, to me... You know, I, I just really don't see this show here Tani. Although I do I do understand he's a, a seminal talent, and I do understand he what, what he does is actually fairly remarkable. And what he does is play for a team that's very bad. I'm with you. I think we're in the business of winning. I believe the word value, valuable, is tied to winning. So that's why I feel like Judge is is the guy here. Um, all right, rule changes are coming up for 2023. The Athletic reported that they're – going to be voted on. They'll be passed by the league the day that we're recording this episode. And there's a few section of rules, um, rules designed to improve the pace of play. There's going to be a bunch of small detailed rules regarding time between innings, time between batters, mound visits, pitching changes. And a lot of these rules are already in place, to be honest with you. But I guess they're being either restructured or emphasized more. Uh, but But this is where a pitch clock is also coming into play. It's been used in the minors for a number of years now. I don't think people are are even going to notice it for a while. But something that popped out to me as it relates to the Yankees and this, you know, these new rules here regarding the the time in between everything. 
extra inning events like the playing of God Bless America or anything that stops the action at the ballpark is going to require approval from the commissioner's office. Anyway, that we're going to have a change to what we normally have come to expect at Yankee Stadium during the seventh inning, stuff like that. And then you have shift bands. This is the big one that pops out to a lot of people. Essentially, every infielder is going to need to play on the infield, and there's going to be need uh, two infielders on each side of second base at all times. Do you like this, or do, do you not like this? Uh, I, 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 I don't like the shift because I think it's really hurt the game. I, I respect the strategy. I respect the skill that it takes to play the shift. I respect the st- strategy that's involved in, in playing the game, uh, you know, to, to sort of uh, eliminate shifts or to put a priority on shifts, depending on, on what side of the ball you're on here. But uh, but to me, it, it's really hurt the game offensively. Uh, there's One of the reasons there's a minimal, there's a premium on runs is because of shifts. I mean, shifts that rob players of, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70 points on batting averages, 80 points on batting averages. There's a lot of points to lose on a batting average because of a shift. You know, I, and uh, I don't know what the average is, but it's outstanding, whatever it is. So there's a lot, there's a lot going on with the shifts, but I do think the sh- shifts affect the game in an adverse way. Do you like? Do you think that the both both rules there they go hand in hand? Like, I think. See, I, I think you should have all four infielders that play behind the pitcher. They should be stationed on the infield. I don't necessarily agree that they have to. They have to have two on each side of second base. I don't think you should dictate where your infielder should have to play on the infield. I do agree that the infielder should be in the infield. What do you think about that? I agree. I think the infielders should be in the infield, but I do think that you know where they play is up to where you, where you want to put them. And But I do think that the shifts per se, again, going back to the shifts per se, I think the shifts hurt the game. And I think that, you know, listen, baseball needs to be, it needs to play the game in, in a way that the, that it's obviously has to be respected for the skill that it takes to play it. I mean, obviously that's, that's paramount, but, but you know, it's, it's actually, there's actually more to it to me than that. It's, it's also, they have to put an entertaining product on the field. And when you don't have offenses going the way that they should, they should be clicking. Um, you, you really are hurting, you know, the game because you're not scoring runs. You know, people get, get bored. They get annoyed. They get whatever you need to score some runs. Cause that's still the, that's still the, the key to winning games is obviously scoring runs. So you need to see that people need to, uh, to, to appreciate what it takes to play that at that level. And, and uh, anything that, that can eliminate the, the shifts or cause the, the shifts are the are kind of the enemies of offense. They've killed offense. They really have. I mean, they've done their job too well. It's one thing to mitigate offense. It's another thing to take it away entirely. And it's pretty much taken the games of offenses away almost entirely. So, I mean, they have to figure out a way to get get more balance back in the game. And a way to do that is to eliminate the shifts. So that's what they're going to do. They're also going to increase the size of bases from 15 inches uh, to, to 18 inches. So perhaps it could entice more players to steal. All right, there was an article written in The Athletic earlier this week with Jason Stark, a Hall of Fame writer, and Joe Madden, you know, decorated manager, won the World Series title with the Cubs, was dismissed as Angels manager a couple of months ago, and he touched on the state of analytics in baseball. And this is a guy, when you think of Joe Madden, you think, I guess, you think about like a managerial experimentation. Like he was at the forefront of trying new things at the advent of the analytics era, you you think of Joe Madden, you think of open-mindedness. 
And Madden essentially said, hey, I like information. I like analytics, but I have a problem. I've had a problem with the imposition from the front office to the field staff. Kind of if you if you look at the article, there are a lot of buzz quotes. Um, it, it feels like it's it's one of those things where he just wants the people that are giving his team the information to stay away when it comes to getting on the field and 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 limit the oversaturation of information, maybe have players take nuggets at a time. Overall, do you do you agree or disagree there? Where hey, Analytics information is good, obviously, but maybe teams should take a look at the way it's imposed on the staff that's getting on the field. Yes, I do think they need to take a. I think they need to take a, str- a little stronger look at this because um, you've got you've got a lot of information going being flown being sort of go, going the manager's way now, and you know there's a lot of questions that comes with the information and. Um, you know, I, I think that a lot of a lot of I don't know exactly. I couldn't tell you who is forced to take information, but I know a lot of a lot of managers don't get to make uh, half the decisions they used to make. And they, you need to identify who's making the decisions down there. You just do. Do you think the managers know what they're getting into when they begin their tenure with their respective teams? Those guys that end up being handcuffed. Do you think it's dictated to them and explained to them thoroughly like, hey, this is the way it's going to be run or after they're already in and you, you kind of see the information being forced upon them. No, I mean, the calculus here really is the, 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 the is the, uh, the constant, you know, give and take that have to go on for a team to be successful between the front office and the dugout. I mean, this, the communication has to be constant and, the, and there could be no confusion. And uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, I swallow it. And you, you know, you're cutting the, the, the meat, and I'm you swallow this, and I'm doing that. I mean, there's just so much that has to get get done. But but the reality is, the decisions. You know, this this, this the, the 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 essence of the communication has to come from the dugout. And but the communic the stuff the, the information they're communicating was coming from the front office. And sometimes there's a there's a disconnect between what the front office wants and what the manager wants to do. And therein lies the problem. When you see that happening, then you realize, well, we have a problem on our hands, Houston. We just do because. Uh, we can't. It's hard to operate like that in a world where, you know, we everybody's not coming from the same place, or you're being you're being kind of forced to use information that you don't believe is useful or as useful as it, maybe it should be. So, you know, yeah, I think that's really oh, tough wow. to implement and really tough to get done. But, but you know, uh, unfortunately, that's kind of the way of the game right now, and it has been for the last several years, and uh, you have to live with it. How do you balance it out? I mean, do you look at any manager right now and you think hey, this is this is the proper way to do things? They they have a really good good process going, good line of communication. You know, you know, look here. Here to me is the most fascinating part of this this whole conversation. To me is let's take the Phillies for instance. You know, Joe Girardi's matching the Phillies, and the Phillies are you know, not playing well. They had a really bad first half, really bad first half. But they, they felt that a change was in order for whatever reason. They went, they make a change. Okay, so 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 you know, Joe is out of Philadelphia, right? But Thompson takes over. We all know Rob Thompson. He does a great job and works really hard. He's a good guy. Okay, so he's not with the job, and they play out of their minds well. 
and they make the playoffs out of their minds. Well, I mean, they're going to make the oh, they could make the playoffs. So, I mean, they they are a team that that went from being a non-factor to being very much a significant factor. Now, now, what happened? What was the information not there the first part of the season? Or miraculously showed up the second part of the season? I mean, how exactly did that information flow work? You bring up the Phillies. That segues us nicely to the NL East because uh, the Phillies, yeah, they're 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 looking like they're going to be a wild card team here rob thompson's done a tremendous job like you just said but at the top of the division you had the mets at one point with a 10 and a half lead over the braves that's gone uh do we blame the mets for blowing it or do we credit the braves for essentially playing out of their minds since june 1st well how about since last year played out of your mind <laughs> i mean they did this the second half of last year too they started to play really really well and uh you know, to the point where they didn't have to win every game, or you know, they could win every other game. They could play checkers, decide which games to lose, which games to win. I mean, they, literally, they could could have played like that. But they got they got so incredibly hot last year that they became the the hot team that everybody fears. They weren't necessarily the best team, but they were the hottest team, and that's the reason that they won. I think they have the best rotation right now. If the playoffs began today, obviously they don't. Injuries can pop up for any of these championship contenders, but right now, Max Fried, Charlie Morton. People may overlook him, but, I mean, that veteran experience that he brings is huge. Um, Spencer Strider, terrific rookie. Kyle Wright as well. I think they have the, the best rotation depth for the playoffs out of any team. And the way we've seen them operate as a team, John, with their success on the field and then just constructing their roster for the long term. Like, if I'm a free agent, Atlanta is a destination for me at this point because they are just set up to succeed for the long haul here. Yes. Think? Yes. I think, I think they're a team that you have to certainly respect because they've got it figured out. They're really very good. Their starting pitching is excellent. They get timely hits. They're young. There's nothing about them that, 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 that uh, would lead you to believe that they're not going to be back and in it for a very long time to come. It's such an interesting blend. Young starting pitching, uh, a lot of position players that are successful and they're they're secured with with long term contracts that um, could could end up being team friendly and allow the team to make outside additions as well. And then you take a look at their field staff; like there's a lot of former players on there as well that have just done terrific work. So I think they've built themselves into sustained contenders for for many years to come. Here, um, very good. So their business plan suggests that they're they're very aggressive. They go in and they sign people long before they have to sign them, mm -hmm. which means they give them things that other organizations are not giving them. They don't wait till the player is screaming up and down, look at me, look at me, I'm ready for free agency, you know, well, look at the colors, I'm, I'm green already, I'm ready to go. They, they don't view it like that. They look at it as, you know what, this guy is, you know, we, we attempt him with a little money. We can, we, can, we can approach him because we want to tie this guy up. We want to tie this guy away for, for 10 years if we can. This guy away for seven years, for six years, for five years. Every one of these deals is different, they, but they don't treat them as the same. And that's the reason that they don't work. I mean, you've got to respect the fact that they do such great business there in terms of how they run their ball club. Atlanta. They really do. All right, since June the 1st, the Mets have played at a 98-win pace. Obviously, that's terrific. Uh, they're 58-34 and 34 since June 1st. The Braves have played at a 117-win pace. They've gone 63-24 uh, and 24 since June 1st. Uh, the Braves and the Yankees, obviously having a lot of competition between themselves in the late 90s. I always think of that 99 series 
because it was the one where Bob Costas called the Yankees the team of the century. And that World Series obviously played on NBC. And earlier this week, one of the longtime and most decorated TV executives who you know well, uh, Dick Ebersol, uh, who's led NBC in a number of capacities over the years, he turned 75 uh, earlier this week. Really quick, what what has Dick meant to the landscape of sports on TV and, and meant to you? Well, he's one of the giants in the history of the business. And when you consider at one time, NBC had its hand literally in every major sport. I mean, they were carrying or, or had play in, in every major sport. I think that's quite remarkable to start looking at it. And uh, I, the, the fact that, you know, that, I mean, Dick is all about relationships. And you, you could learn a lot from a guy like Dick Emerson because he is about relationships. That's how he conducts his life. That's what he believes in. The relationships will get you everywhere. And uh, you, you don't have to believe me. Just take a sock. You know, what he sucks. <laughs> I don't know. Say, like, you know, uh, it's one says Dick, the other one says Emerson. They, they, like, they little, you know, give out gifts and stuff. But but uh, the, the thing is that they, they, they pair up well. One sock pairs up with the other. Nick is just great in relationships. He pairs well with people. That's the point I'm trying to make. I don't know if I'm making it at all, but but he's a he's a, his ability to to make a deal and yet and yet not make you feel as if he's dominated you in a deal. Uh, you know, even when they have dominated people in a deal, they don't make them feel like they dominated a deal. And I think that's one of the reasons he's been so successful is that people want to either work for him or want to battle battle with him. And uh, it, but because. He always finds a way to make a deal work. I mean, that's that's what he does. He understands sports. He, you know, he was an Olympic researcher. Uh, he's worked with Jim McKay in Wild World of Sports. He understands sports. He fights for what he believes. He's a strong, visceral talent. Uh, he's as much a producer as he is an executive. There isn't any box he doesn't check for someone you want in charge. Has Has Dick ever been a guest of this podcast, John? No, he hasn't been, but I'm going to ask him. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I was thinking about this yesterday, the drive home from the city, uh, that I, I think I would need to ask him because uh, I think he'd be a fascinating guest. So so the guest list, uh, since since I've joined the fray here, has has now including Derek Jeter and Dick Ebersol. So we can make that happen. No problem. I mean, those aren't big names at all. <laughs> Perfect. Well, you know, the thing is, I think they both like to uh, – they both like to mentor, and you know, so this is a chance for them to mentor to, to to work with us who are uneducated in the world and in life and in our business. They can use help. I think they certainly could. Re- I think they would certainly uh, want to do that. So, uh, although I'm teasing about you know what what they would do, the reality is they certainly could help us. All right. Anything else that we we need to touch on before we land this plane, John? No, I think we got things covered. I think we we, we talked about the shifts. We talked about the Kebersol. We talked about the Yankees. We talked about what the Yankees need to do to win. We talked about Aaron Judge and the whole run record. I think we touched on most things we had to talk about. Okay. It's going to be a fascinating series this weekend. Yankees and Rays at the stadium. If the Yankees come out uh, look, looking pretty solid, this could uh, be the the one that sways the division in their favor just because of what John said earlier. The, the Rays have a really tough schedule facing the Astros. They face the Blue Jays a bunch of times before the regular season ends here. So the Yankees need to do well here. And, I mean, they could have everything 
as wrapped up and secure as one could have it in the uh, early to mid portions of September. So, John, thanks once again. That is going to wrap it up for this edition of Curtain Call. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe. It is the best way that you can show your support. And like I say, if you don't, well, keep it to yourself. Uh, yeah, for our producer, Dan Bussone, and for John J. Filippelli, I'm Justin Shackle. We will talk to you next time on the Curtain Call podcast, a production of the Yes Network. Mm-hmm.